Hello and welcome. It's David and Brent joining you again this week. Thanks for stopping by and listening. Brent, of course, as always, lots going on. We're halfway through the month of February and USDA did its first data dump of net farm income estimates for 2022. So of course, a lot of headline breaking news about that, but we spent some time this week breaking down the latest estimates. Uh, We have an article about that. That's part one. Part two is about government payments. And part three, We'll look at the balance sheet here uh, later on. But as you know, we always share a lot of data and a lot of insights there. And I guess I want to pull this up for those of you watching the video. Just stepping back and saying where we've been, direct payments here in 2022 are going to come screeching back to earth. In fact, they're going to be at the lowest levels that we've seen in a long, long time. And we've gone from four, almost $50 billion. That number is pretty darn high in 2022 dollars. Now it's going to be somewhere around $11 billion. That's getting close to normal, but I think we would contend it's actually a little below quote unquote normal. But what's really interesting is if you look at this in terms of how much of it is still being driven by ad hoc programs. Of course, we just heard about this uh, cover crop program that's going to pay some of the crop insurance subsidies. So it's programs like that, but traditional farm bill spending is going to be close to $6 billion, which without all this ad hoc, you know, the headlines would be where art thou government payments. And so it's a really interesting setup. So on one hand, it's getting back to normal, but on the other hand, normal farm bill spending is well below normal. And it's going to set up an interesting debate for the next farm bill. They set up a really interesting debate as to what happens in the next farm bill i've seen people starting to position on that as to what their priorities are and not much talk about commodity titles which is always interesting if we would have had this debate in 2020 discussion would have been a lot different even in the height of the trade war i think the discussion would be a lot different there were pretty respectable comments talking about supply programs, management programs at that time period. That's how rapidly things change. And I think that's useful to keep in mind. In the fall of 2020, one of the House stimulus bills was going to have this SHIP program, remember? Yeah, um, we had a question about it. We had a question in the forecast network. They're going to uh, rapidly expand this SHIP program to really idle acres on a short-term basis in the Northern Great Plains. Here's another one. We're going to write a lot about ARC and PLC in the next coming weeks. Of course, your decisions are coming up on that. From 2015 to 2020, ARC and PLC paid an average of $6 billion, which is very similar to where the fixed direct payments were back in the, you know, the good old days of farm programs. We have to make a decision every 12 months for something that's going to happen out 18 months into the future. But if you look at it for 2022, the USDA is projecting uh, $0.2 billion or $200 million in ARC and PLC funding for 2022. It's statistically uh, zero. The last time there was no Title I commodity program payments made was in 2014, but that was a fancy government accounting trick. Yeah. And so the takeaway here is Title I commodity programs, the payments here are basically going to be zero, and it's all because of the structure of the program. Again, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. You know, will ARC and PLC survive to see another farm bill? Um, and finally, there's going to be a lot of should questions. And of course, as economists, we don't want to dwell on those. Policymakers have to decide those. But direct farm payments as a share of income is back to the lows where it, it was back in the, the low points. And then, of course, net government transactions. It, 
so this is the idea of how much did producers receive and how much did they pay out in say property taxes. And we talked about that. It's actually very, very low too. So government payments have been all over the board. Important thing to keep in mind, and we'll see how this plays out in the next um, 18 months or as uh, the farm bill expiration date hurls to us. Of course, it's in 2023. Um, I guess one of the questions would be, what's the probability of us actually getting a farm bill before that expiration? Or you know, do we, do we sign something new or do we just sign you know, kind of extension of the current status quo? Yeah. Uh, last few times, last two times, I guess that's pretty much what we've done, right? Is we can't agree on anything. So the only thing they could get through is an extension of what they had done last time. And not a lot of reason to think that that is going to change, that the climate and Congress can change that much, but uh, the economic situation can change rapidly, as we can see from that. And I, I, I just think it's important to remember, I mean, like right now, everybody would say, oh, you know, farm program payments are going to be zero forever. I doubt it. They'll come back or there will be a call for them again at some point. But right now, things are pretty good. So net farm income estimates, I'll let you read those articles. Net farm income is pretty favorable for the 2022 outlook. Interesting, the biggest source of change between 21 and 22 has been, are these direct payments. It's not necessarily been the expense category. And we'll let you dive into that. But $16 billion of that adjustment has been from lower direct payments. You know, $16 billion is normally a big direct payment number, but the reduction has been larger than that. So we have higher production expenses. We'll see where this high production expense number comes out at the end of the year. It could be underestimated at this point, but a lot of focus has been on cost of production, which is real, but this lower direct payments is probably going to impact farm budgets and farm returns to a bigger magnitude here in 2022. Brent, let's talk a little about the forecast network questions. We were comparing scores. I'll share mine and you can you know, talk through yours. On the first one, probability of more than 93 million acres being planted per this estimate of the prospective planning report. I adjusted my forecast this week. My note here says I adjusted it because of uh, the soybean corn price ratio trending a little bit higher, but I'm at 50, I guess my forecast is 56% chance of more than 93 million acres of corn. And the consensus is somewhere around 48%. Where are you at? I am at 45%. I was at 60% until the 11th, February 11th. I lowered it and I lowered it again today. So I, you know, I still think it's the most likely outcome or slight. And well, I guess I don't have it as the most likely outcome anymore, but uh, I'm not a lot, a long ways away from a coin flip on this deal. I think that's going to be awful close to the, the actual number. Let's switch gears and talk about soybeans. Uh, probability of the report, March report estimating more than 87 million acres for context. We planted 87.2. Brent, I'll let you go first this time. Yeah, I'm at 70%. I think I'm a little bit higher than you. I have steadily been increasing that. Soybean prices have just been on a tear. And, um, you know, I, I just think more and more people are going to start finding them attractive. Remember, uh, and we said this early on, is that given the costs of corn, it had a higher hurdle. But early on, it, lo- it was the corn price was enough better that corn was really attractive relative to soybeans. But soybeans have really rallied relative to corn now. I think uh, if you just do the calculation on the current 
crop insurance prices. I just did that this morning when I made that adjustment on my soybean acreage. It was 2.42, I believe. Not final yet, but that's starting to get pretty attractive, especially given the higher cost structure this year. So in my mind, beans are, are getting more and more attractive as we go. I'm at a 55%. So I'm below the trend line. I've been below the trend line. So when I phone in a really bad score, this will be the one that uh, doomed me. So <laughs> Brent, be the best, as we be. were preparing for this, I think this is potentially where the triangulation is really valuable. I think this is, at least in, for me, this is why I realized my weakest spot in my blind spot here, the thing I needed more information about. It's combined corn and soybean acres. The specific question is what's the probability of the March prospective planning estimating more than 180 combined acres of corn and soybeans, 180.5 were actually planted in 2021. My forecast is at 53%. The consensus has been kind of bouncing around. It got as high as 73% back in middle of January. Now it's hanging out around uh, 63%. Where, where's your thoughts here? Yeah. And this is where I think our differences come from because I'm at 80%. And, uh, the thing I know is when I get way outside of consensus, I'm probably wrong and I'm probably too high now. But my thinking was that I just look at these commodity prices and these are as attractive as we have seen for a long time. I mean, we are going to, we're going to have the highest, not a guarantee, but very likely have the highest soybean crop insurance price initial crop insurance price in history more than likely will be the second or third highest corn price in history. i got to think that's going to attract a lot of acres. Now, as you will tell me, wheat prices are really high too, and cotton prices are really high. So there is a lot of competition for acres. So I may be too aggressive, but right now that's my brain lock is that I got to think we're going to plant more than we did last year. So for those of you listening, I think this is a really great conversation. And I learned a lot from this. And on the one hand, Brent thinks that the call to plant more corn and soybeans is going to be strong. I am on the other side. And I think winter wheat's already added three quarters of a million. I think spring wheat could be in there for um, spring. wheat's not going to be looking to give up a lot of acreage. Cotton's not looking to give up much acreage, probably gaining some acreage. Those are the big, you know, collectively the big four acreage crops. I also think the USDA has got to assume normal prevented planting. And we had below normal prevented planting last year, probably to the magnitude of a million acres. And so where do we start this? If 180.5 was the level last year, I think for this initial report, you got to back out some for prevented planting. You got to back out some for winter wheat. We'll see how this plays out. Now, Brent, we don't know how this is going to play out, but this is where Brent and I are going to probably be a month and a half from now saying, I miscalculated this component. I miss this element. And so we'll let you decide how you're going to think about it. But I think this is where a lot of head scratching should be spent on the acreage debate. Yeah, it's a tough question because you make really good points. When I start thinking about, well, the hay crops and all these other, you know, where can we like scrounge up additional acres and everything's high right now. The other thing that makes me think I'm maybe too high, so I'm questioning myself, is the drought situation. 
I mean, there is a significant drought in the United States right now, not so much so in the Corn Belt, but in through the Great Plains. And that could influence it. But you've got the countervailing part of, boy, these commodity prices are high. And keep in mind, this is not final. This is the USDA's estimate based on conditions in March. And so something I'm thinking about, Brent, that I don't know how to reconcile it, and I'm ignoring it kind of at the moment, a double cropping. Uh, How much double cropping is going to be going on? Because we had strong wheat prices and strong soybean prices now. The incentive to double crop is going to be very, very strong for those areas that planted wheat. Now, that's not going to be relevant to everybody, but I think in the areas that added a lot of wheat, it could be a conversation that could you know, tip the scale of million here or million there for soybeans, which could be relevant. So everyone encourage you to update your forecast, put your stake in the ground and see how you stack up. And of course, it's always about the learning. So we'll see how we track. Brent, I want you to wrap this up by sharing an idea that you came across this week. Oh, yeah. And I I read this article about, you know, how we're addicted to news. And I find myself addicted to the news. And I'm a really avid reader of the newspapers and all this kind of stuff. And uh, something that challenged me to think about that a little bit. There's a quote by Talib who wrote The the Black Swan. It's, you know, writes some stuff that's kind of controversial design to make you think and he said to be completely cured of newspapers you should spend a year reading the previous week's newspapers it made me think a little bit and i think there's a lot of truth to that because so much of what you're reading in the newspaper is a short-term explanation of a long-term problem and so they've got to come up with something to say about the situation and that's where i'm thinking you know Right now, you know, the big story as we're recording this is the whole Russia-Ukraine situation. If you read the current today's news, it appears to be coming to a some kind of a boiling point, maybe. And, you know, sometimes it's useful to step back and think a little bit longer term because there, there's so much, there's so much conflicting stuff in the newspapers right now depending on what you read about what's going on and it's hard to really think through i think it's really valuable to not to say that every article in the newspaper is not valuable there are definitely some but i've got to think about the way we prioritize information and in our thinking what does breaking news mean to you does it change your outlook or does it help you calibrate your expectations and i think a lot of times we're reactionary to the streams of news that come in. But if we have a solid plan, it should just be course adjustments. And I think someone asked me the other day, how should I adjust my grain marketing plans in light of the Ukraine situation? I said, well, it probably, if anything, you probably shouldn't be marketing your grain based on whether or not they think Russia is going to invade. Uh, I don't think that's a good strategy. Uh, as Brent, we talked about before, even if you knew the outcome, you probably couldn't place a bet in the right direction given the range of possible outcomes. But specifically your grain marketing plan, you probably have to widen the range of possible outcomes that you think are possible in 2022, maybe higher prices than thought or lower prices than thought. And to bring this back to your quote, one of the articles I, or idea that I came across was this idea of I'm a bad um, about reading new books. So one of my favorite authors will come with a new book. I, I read it. I tell Brent about it. And it's like, okay, how many books that came out in 2022 are going to be relevant in 50 years. But on the other hand, how many books from 50 years ago are still relevant today that I haven't got to? And so it's just kind of this, how do you prioritize information? 
And some content that's out there will be valuable to you for a long time. And some of it won't be. And how do you make sure you access as much of the valuable stuff as possible? So really powerful stuff. Yeah. And I think, yeah, particularly true with like financial news. I mean, so much of what you read, you know, there's always an article in the wall street journal about stock market decline today. It's going to be 2.9% on fears or whatever, you know, fears over, Russian invasion and they're going to go through and ascribe a lot of the changes to, you know, this event or that event. And, um, you know, so many times that's just kind of like a storytelling after the fact kind of thing that probably isn't really that valuable or useful for us as on a daily basis. Well, thank you all for joining us this week. We hope that this has been a valuable piece of insight for your thinking. Not, you know, let us know and we'll uh, dial it in to make sure it's still valuable. But I appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, Brent, uh, good luck with these acreage forecasts. I know we were talking about interest rates and inflation as well. So I encourage you all to uh, update your forecast for that as well. In the meantime, stay curious.